This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, this is Jesse. This is Tamahome. How's it going? Okay. <laughs> Great. Let's let's do a podcast. Okay. Um, Hope I can fill in the gap left by Scott. Yeah, he, he, you killed him. You you got to take over his career now. Oh no! I, I secretly gave him a play that he could act in, so he can't do the podcast. Yeah, it's okay. He, he'll be back next week. Okay, good. Resurrected. Now, um, uh, this is sort of a grab bag episode, I guess. I'm going to talk about all sorts of junk. Um, Warrior race. We both read this story. I guess it was uh, posted to the website last week or the week before. Uh, the Sheckley story. It's mentioned in a previous podcast by Greg Marguerite. It's read by Greg Marguerite. What did you think of this story? Um, I guess I thought it was kind of silly, but I, I liked it. Yeah, I, I, uh, I think it's silly as well. I also liked it. Um, and what, there's, and what's a, uh, set up the premise for us. Well, uh, can I can I spoil it? Sure. It's, I don't well, think I mean, it's uh, spoiled by even knowing what's going on. Basically, um, spacemen from Earth go to this planet and they need fuel from this uh, temple. And uh, there's people there that are aliens, but they're they're very human. They look very human, but they they fight in a weird way. They uh, they hold a knife to their own throat and kill themselves. And then you feel so guilty that you you stop finding them, right? It's how they how they conquer all races is by by threatening to do away with themselves, and if you don't surrender, then they start killing themselves, right? And eventually, you will stop uh, whatever it is you're doing and surrender to them, so that they just stop being so inhumane. Right? They're like your mother; they they guilt you into. <laughs> What they want. <laughs> you know what? I think that's a really good analogy. Thank you. That's a really good analogy. I I, I like that they're um they're described as being human. Um, they have the same number of eyes and ears and and everything. And then they're also completely alien. There's a right. line about that. And uh, I think I think you know that if you have you read a lot of the Sheckley stuff. No, not really. They're all his short stories seem to be kind of like this uh, when they're dealing with aliens. Um, the, one of the first ones I ever heard was, um, I think it's called The Perfect Victim. I think that's what it's called. It's a, a guy, a single guy instead of two guys. A uh, single guy crash lands on a planet and um, has to uh, acclimatize himself to the people there. And the people there are always getting to, into horrible accidents. Um mm-hmm. They're, they're getting into horrible accidents, and he he takes it on his on himself that he's got to improve the lives of everyone, and uh, so he tries to prevent all the accidents that are happening by you know making the bridges stronger and and doing all this and and um, the thing he doesn't know that the reader knows is that everyone in the planet secret urges to kill themselves as as quickly as possible without having it known that they actually killed themselves, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, the suicide theme. That's right. Uh, so it brings great, des- great 
joy to think that you will no longer exist. And so as long as they can uh, find a way to get killed, as long as it wasn't their fault, then they did something very holy, right? So a guy who uh, volunteers for a dangerous mission is doing it for his own, uh, you know, uh, pleasurable reasons. And um, <laughs> and they they really appreciate all that he he's done for them because publicly they they have to, but they're also frustrated, and so they decide to heap the greatest honor upon him, which is to throw him into a giant volcano at the end of the story. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Just to please nice him. Nice twist. Right, yeah. So it's That'd always... a good uh, M. Shyamalan movie. Uh, no, because there's no redemption. <laughs> there's no redemption in oh. that story, right? It's kind of the anti-M. Night Shyamalan uh, kind of story. The opposite of redemption. Yeah, well, the way M. Night Shyamalan's movies work is... Uh, everything is there for a reason, everybody has a purpose, and you just have to discover what your purpose is or something like that, right? So you sort of... Right. I, I just thought of it as like a movie with a twist at the end. I didn't really think about... Oh. ...in every movie. Oh, well, then just uh, go watch some old uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Presents. They all have twists at the end. Okay. They're really, they're really twisty. I, I was going to say this story would be a good uh, Star Trek... Next Generation episode, because in that show, every alien looks just like humans, except they have, like, extra pimples on their forehead. Yeah, it could, it could have been. Um, uh, what about the solution? How, how they got to the solution of, um, you know, getting their fuel and getting off the planet? What did you think of that? Um, kind of similar to what I was saying in The Perfect Victim, actually. Well, they just kind of pretended to kill each other? Well, that, that's what they started to do, and then, and then uh, they they said, you know, you should stop doing that. But uh, eventually, that didn't work. Um, so they, he says, <laughs> that that was the that was the really funny line. He says, "Stop it!" The chief cried, "This is disgusting." <laughs> it's working, Fanny panted. That's the human, and he says, "Now let me strangle you. I think that might." <laughs> So the two humans are trying to kill each other in order right. to out. But wait, how did, how did they uh, finally get into the temple again? They take, um, they they grab the chieftain lord of the aliens and uh, prevent him from killing himself. Oh, that's right, that's right. They threaten him. They but, say, uh, won't let you kill he... yourself, if, and he will not be allowed to kill himself. Right. Uh, he can't die honorably unless you... Uh, let us get to the spaceship. It's it's clever. Um, so it, it, the way they wage war is to kill themselves, not to be killed by someone else, right? So um, if you don't, if you don't uh, do what I say, I will kill you. Is a threat to us, right? Um, and it's right. sort of like you know when you see the cop movie when the the guy doesn't want to get arrested and he takes out a gun and he takes himself hostage. Right. And he puts a gun to his own head and then the cops point their guns at him and say, put that gun down. (laughs) He says, if you Mm -hmm. do anything, I'll kill myself. Right. It's kind of a, uh, I think that happened the first lethal weapon with uh, Mel Gibson. Uh, I think that happens in all of Mel Gibson's movies. Right. He threatens to kill himself and then, and then, (laughs) As uh, South Park point, points out, I'm on the edge here. 
he has a torture fetish. He wants to be tortured. Right. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it is a very strange take on it. Um, now, how, how realistic do you think this is? Is it possible to go to another planet and find... Uh, yeah, it doesn't seem very uh, plausible. There would some, be some sort of evolutionary disadvantage to it, you'd think, right? Yeah, they might all uh, stop stop the race. But imagine you were on that planet. Uh, would you? What would you? What would you have done? Because I, I wouldn't want to see all those people killing themselves, right? And I think that's what we're supposed to, or at least that's what the reaction we have is: is that oh, yeah, that actually is a dilemma, right? To commit genocide by. Uh, Letting them commit genocide, or forcing them to commit genocide. If, you, if their motivations are crazy, I, I guess I prefer that to actually attacking other people. It, it would be preferable, but is it? Would it dissuade you from your own action? I mean, if they if they if they threaten me with that, well, act, yeah, I, I guess it would stop me. Yeah, so like somebody, I don't know. They said, you know, if you eat in that restaurant, I'm gonna pour gasoline all over myself and myself <laughs> on fire, you're probably not going to eat in that restaurant, right? Right. But on the other hand, if they did that for every action they disliked, which you did, you probably would get sick and tired of it, wouldn't you? You say, oh, come on. Yeah, it's again. like, I'm going to go down and get a burger. Leave me alone. And they say, no, if you do that, I'm going to light myself on fire. It's, it's, it's a threat that happens every day, right? But I think if worse then well it it's it's um it's kind of like the the civil disobedience right civil disobedience if you're doing civil civil disobedience properly, it's like gandhi uh, yeah well it's that's a form of civil dis- disobedience if you're doing civil disobedience properly you mm-hmm. are wanting to get arrested so you know all the the people who uh put on masks and are you know claim to be anarchists or acting as anarchists, they don't want to get arrested. That's why they're wearing masks. Mm-hmm. Whereas the people who, you know, sit down in protest and get arrested and have, you know, are punished by the society for their beliefs, they are practicing civil disobedience. And right. so, I, Actually, I was, I was thinking of the movie. There is a scene where uh, they kind of lay themselves down in front of the guards and just let the guards beat them. Which, but somehow that makes it to the press, and uh, they they get their way somehow. Well, just, what, just like the story. What movie are you talking about? Uh, Gandhi. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that that's that's a true story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's the you know, if if you're unwilling to, uh, you know, go into violence, right? Then their actions look bad and they are shamed and you know they, the british were shamed out of Af- uh, africa out of india right they won their independence uh through shame rather than uh by force of arms but right. um can you imagine the nazis against um against the indians right the, the nazis, nazis probably just they wouldn't ex- be happy they you can't use those tactics with nazis right because they that's what they want from you is to quietly line up and you know get arrested and thrown in the concentration camp because they don't want um 
uh, it's uh, they don't care about bad publicity because their ideology is is that you, you deserve to be in the oven. Right. I guess if you're not part of their race, they don't care about your opinion. Yeah. So I was going to say uh, the yoga word for uh, like abhorring violence is called ahimsa. Ahimsa. Yeah, I think it's like a h i m s a. Okay. Maybe that'd be a good uh, word to put in the notes. I, it's very possible. I'll look it up. Okay. Oh, I'll let you look it up. <laughs> okay. I'll put a link to it. So uh, what did you think of Greg Marguerite's narration? Have you heard a lot of his stuff? He, no, I haven't. He has a very low voice. Yeah, it's very grumbly. It's, it's almost like he's purposely going as low as possible. I think... Uh, I, I liked it. Yeah, I, I think he's a really good re- reader. He, he doesn't have like a huge range so when he does women you don't say oh that's a sexy woman you know you you think he can oh, do a lower a, ball. yeah you know what there you go or uh uh yeah there's a, a couple other women with with deep voices like uh kathleen uh kathleen turner, turner? Yeah. yeah yeah um it's true uh, i just i think he does a really good job and sound quality is is excellent Volume's excellent, sound quality's excellent, good reader. Sure. But, you know, the best part about reading Greg Marguerite stories on, on uh, LibriVox is actually that uh, he picks good stuff, so he doesn't read the crappy stuff, generally. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the problems with uh, uh, LibriVox is there, there is no review mechanism, except, you know, occasionally somebody will mention something in, you know, the forums or something, you know, good job, oh. but... You know, they might be just speaking technically, um, and so what I, what I, I I'm low no rating saying, system like on Goodreads. No, 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 no. They don't. They don't do anything like that. So uh. that's sort of what the SFF audio is kind of doing is is picking stuff out and hopefully finding more. But I, I'd like to see more people doing, you know, going in there and finding the good stories and the good readers, because you can have a good story or a good reader, but. If they're not a good story and a good reader, then I am not so much interested in hearing it. Mm-hmm. That's what people say the problem is going to be with uh, self-publishing ebooks. There'll, there'll be so many of them around that it'll be really hard to curate yeah. the good stuff. That's right. We need people we need, not to curate for themselves. Need a, a someone out there reviewing them and and you know, in a way. Uh, those you know scaled reviews you know scoring reviews um is helpful if you've got hundreds and hundreds of people doing it or dozens of people doing it um but unless you know amazon's where i normally go to check out what a novel is scoring like but i guess goodreads is is a place to do does good goodreads do short stories um not unless it's a part of an anthology yeah hmm Actually, uh, John DiNardo does uh, anthologies on SF Signal really good. He rates each individual short story. Yeah, that's right. I mean, not, not all people do that, so I like that. Yeah, that's and he also gives some info in each story. Yeah, it is actually yeah. quite useful. That's cool. Yeah. So, so you read more short stories than novels? Um, mostly. I would like to. I would like to. I, I used to read more short stories. I'm sort of running out. I think. Um, yeah, I'm kind of feeling that way lately. Like, I start a novel, and I'm like, do I really want to spend, like, 10 or 20 hours on this one book? Maybe I should just um, stick with short stories, like you do. Oh, I, I, I would like to, but the problem is, is 
there's there's a, there are a ton of short stories out there, and there are a lot of horrible ones, really, right. really terrible ones. So even in the same anthology, you might have like uh, three good ones, and then the rest are bad. Yeah, so it's kind I of, kind of like potluck when there's different authors all in one book. It's true, and um, so one of the things I used to do was I I uh, used to list all the the LibriVox short story collections. And they they just came so fast and furious, and and so few of them were full of really good stories, and and then there would be the ones that were repeated. So I I mostly stopped releasing the the collections because there was just individual stories in there um, that were good, and a lot of them were repeat recordings of you know the one Kurt Vonnegut story that's available in the public domain or something that's not any good. And uh, I think I think it'd be better if if we had some some uh, other people out there saying you know this is definitely this is definitely not worth bothering with. I want a list of things not worth bothering with rather than a, right. a positive list. You you know but you what, don't you don't you don't want people just uh, giving a rating and then uh, have it like like the ones with the highest rating float to the top. Well. I think if 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 you do it like Metacritic, where you take a whole bunch of different different people's reviews and and then average them, I think that that is useful in developing a um, a list of positives. But I actually prefer a list of negatives in a way. Um, so, like, I would prefer a list of of famous books I shouldn't read, and the reasons I shouldn't read them. Like a list of details <laughs> saying, you know, this okay. book is no good, and the reason it's no good is because of this. And then I, I read that, that whatever this part is, and I say, aha, uh-huh, okay, yeah, you're right, I wouldn't want to read that. Um, because I find that th- there, there are reviewers, uh, like there's this guy, Guilty Wilson, I think his name is, he reviews for SF Site, and his reviews, I, I find, like, I, I don't understand whether I'm going to like it or not, based on his review. I read it and I say, yeah, I, I still have no clue if this is going to be any good. Because he says he likes it, but that doesn't tell me if I'm going to like it. Um, I want... I want. I, I guess I do that too. I, I I pan down on Goodreads like for a certain book, and I, I see a whole bunch of great reviews at the top, and then I kind of just pan down out of curiosity to see what the objections are at the bottom. And then that that helps me perform my decision too. It, it, it's very much more useful. So um, when I'm reading a review of a of a movie like Avatar, I I didn't decide my reviews whether I was going to watch it based on uh, its positive reviews because they were you know sound bites comparing it to you know Titanic or something like that. I don't know. Um, I actually don't remember much about that movie. I haven't still haven't seen Avatar, but uh, oh, it's classic, a classic 3D movie. <laughs> it's yeah, it is 3D, isn't it? I, yeah, I guess that's what yes. kicked off the 3D. Thing. It's probably the best 3D movie ever made, which isn't saying a lot to me. Right, it's, right. There's a lot of real crappy 3D movies. In fact, that's mostly what 3D movies are: is crappy. I, I yeah. guess the Coraline was okay, but I. I think I I don't know I I might have saw that in 3D but it didn't really add anything to the story as far as I could tell. 
I, I still haven't seen that. My actually, my niece is really scared of that story. Like, if you just mention uh, sewing buttons on someone's eyes, she'll start yeah. crying. You're supposed to. That's how yeah. you, she's she's having the exact right reaction. She's the perfect audience. Maybe give her a week or two uh, to get used to the idea of being scared for, out of her mind. Maybe for her next birthday, I'll. <laughs> DVD. Let's, let's go traumatize you. <laughs> Absolutely. No, no. I I I think that that's. You know, it's a good idea. It is scary. It's scary for adults, too. Um, I actually read the... Uh, I think I read like a comic version of that. The original story? Oh, I know good. Story. Neil Gaiman's a good writer. Yeah. Well, I guess, I guess he wrote it in text, and then somebody else mm-hmm. made a comic book adaption. Yeah. So, I mean, it's <laughs> and clever. the adaptation as well. Um, the Graveyard book is also good, but... Uh, yeah. It's, I haven't uh, read that yet. A little longer. I'll, they'll probably make a movie version out of that. I would guess an animated movie as well. I don't know if it'll be 3D, but I I, I hear he makes good uh, audiobooks too. Like he does all the voices. You haven't heard a Neil Gaiman audio? Oh, no. oh, he's he's a really great reader. I mean, he's not a professional narrator in the sense that he's he's. Uh, at least you hear like the uh, inflection of each word the way he intended it in his head. Absolutely, and he he enjoys reading it, and you can tell that he enjoys reading it. Um, I I think that he's you know the exception to the rule that authors shouldn't read their own stuff, right? But you say William Gibson should read his own stuff, even though he's he has kind of a monotone voice. Yeah, he's he's um he's got a weird Texas accent. Um, okay, and it and he's very, he's not very emotional, right? No, he's very laconic, I guess, and uh, he. But when I uh, when I heard his reading, I thought it was really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still wish uh, Neuromancer was available. I'll send, I'll send you the files. I've got uh, the cassettes here somewhere. Um, but it's That's it's abridged, friend. unfortunately. That's the the bad news. Is it's abridged? It, it doesn't really ruin the story, but it makes it a little harder to to follow. Oh. oh. Actually, I heard the uh, audio drama on BBC, but I got I got kind of lost around the end. Yeah, it's like a lot of things started it, happening. It's actually um, it's a better book uh, in the middle than it is at the end. But mm-hmm. I still think it's it's really terrific. I mean, I mean, he came up with all that stuff before the Matrix and everything. It seems like he's the one oh, that invented all that stuff. Matrix is not even see it, people compare Neuromancer and the Matrix. There's no reason to compare them. There, there's absolutely no. No, uh, you know, I, I don't think I don't know if the Matrix is cyberpunk. I don't know about that, but uh, whatever he's doing, it's a, it's a heist. It's a heist story, really. It's about uh, you know hackers and heists and politics and war and right. there's an AI. It's just full of great stuff, biotechnology and. Uh, and it's noir, right? That's how it's intended. Uh, it's not noir because the ending's not as noir as it could have been. Right. Um, but it's it's dark. It's it's. I mean, the, I mean, the way the audio drama is, it, it, they they uh, portray it in that way, like it's a noir story. Yeah, well, it's it's um, in the same way that uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep is not a noir story. Um, the movie version is right. They make it look like film noir, but it's right. not oh, Blade like, Runner. It it has a film noir look, but there's a big difference between noir and film noir. I would say. Okay, you know, film noir is a style of of 
of uh, lighting and uh, or not lighting. <laughs> Actually, it is about lighting. Um, and uh, and so a movie like um, it's about a guy talking out of the side of his mouth with a uh, no no it's it's like just um and a fedora hat. Uh, no, because you can have lots of people in fedoras without it being a, a noir. It's more about the lighting. It's like a lighting style. Uh, but noir story. So, like, Memento. You've seen Memento? Yeah, a long time oh, ago. So, that is very brightly lit, for the most part, right? But you got to see all his tattoos. But he, he's a... He's, he's living... The story is noir, right? But the, the film itself is mm-hmm. only classifiable as film noir if you are not talking about the lighting style, I would say. Okay. I would say. There's a, there's a great uh, podcast um, on, on noir films. Um, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. can't remember the name of it for some reason. It's been a long time since they came out with a new one. I think that's why. Really great series from a few years ago. Okay. All right, so let, let's move on to another topic here. What else okay. are you listening to besides uh, Warrior Race? Um, let me scroll down on my notes. Well, I, f- I finished Limitless. Oh, uh, the novel, right. Right. Yeah, so I saw the movie and I thought, what am I missing? I'll listen to the audiobook too. Mm-hmm. But um, it's actually kind of a downer. Like by the end, I was kind of depressed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like in the movie he has all these plans about his future, how he's gonna, like, possibly. All right, I'm, I'm probably gonna spoil this now. Is that okay? Yeah. So he, like, he uh, at the end he's like a senator, and he he might be president or something. Mm-hmm. So so maybe maybe the book will give more details about that. But the book is totally different at the end. It's much more. I mean, you won't be doing cartwheels after reading the book. <laughs> well, maybe that's a noir ending then. Um, yeah, how, how science fictiony is it? That's my question. Yeah, it's 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 not it's not really that science fictiony. I mean, it's in the Margaret Atwood section of the bookstore, so it's like <laughs> in the main stream section of the bookstore. Yeah. So I mean, uh, I actually kind of liked how they went into um, the stock market a, a lot. Like in the book, he go he uh, has friends train him how to do stocks on the computer, the way it is today. So I, mm-hmm. I found that interesting, but. Uh, there's not really a lot of stuff about the implications of super intelligence and what you can do with it. He basically just makes a lot of money. Well, first he, he's a writer. He so he writes really good books. Then he goes on to the stock market and he makes a ton of money. <laughs> I like and books about. I like books about writing really really popular books. I think that's always really funny. Yeah, that's very that's very meta. Yeah. So, um, uh, movie is. It's not just inspired by it. It is an adaptation of the novel *The Dark Fields*. Um, it, it, but actually, in the movie, he has his girlfriend in present day, mm-hmm. and that doesn't exist in the book at all. Well, that's but, a love interest added, I guess. Right. But uh, would you say that it's it, it's a techno thriller? Because I'm, I, they don't really advertise the movie as a science fiction film, do they? It says, what if a pill could make you rich and powerful? That sounds like it should be a science fiction idea, right? They sure have a lot of fancy camera angles in the movie. I mean, like the camera like moves through blocks and blocks at a time, and it's really fancy. Fancy. 
I think it's more. I think it's more science fictiony than the book is. The book is more like a thriller, okay. with some uh, me, uh, techno medical stuff added in. Well, the director um, is a guy named Neil Berger. He did a movie called uh, The Illusionist, which I quite liked. But uh, I think it came out the same time as The Prestige, so right. very close to it. So it sort of got a lot less attention because The Prestige is much better. But um, The Illusionist was okay. Sort of fantasy, I guess. Where I think I saw both of them. The Illusionist the, is fantasy, and the other one is... Uh, um, uh, by the guy who did Memento, and it's it's a more of a science fiction one, right? Uh, I'm not sure, but one of those is a book, right? Uh, there's a short story of The Illusionist by Stephen Milhauser, but I haven't read it. Oh, maybe the other movie is actually a, a book. yeah, yeah, it is. Um, the Prestige is a book. Actually, it's uh, one of Scott's favorites. Actually, I think. Okay, um, but you haven't read it. No, I haven't. Um, and he, I think he was saying that it was, it was uh, just as good, if not better, than the the movie, which is uh, Christopher Priest as the author. Um, okay, and I think I think he's actually a big fan of Christopher Christopher Priest's. And I I, I don't know why I haven't read any of his. I never heard of him. Um, well, he's he's an author. <clears throat> I know he's written um, a few novels, anyways. Let's see. Are they in the mainstream section or the SFF section? Uh, <laughs> well, uh, maybe he's English. I'm not sure. Maybe that's okay. why we don't see a lot of. Yeah, so he's one of BSFA. Uh, novels include The Inverted World, A Dream of Wessex. Yeah, that sounds English. Who did The Novelization of Existence. Interesting. Didn't know there was I saw that movie. Question. It's a very uh, graphic movie. Uh, inspired by Philip K. Dick, at least in part, right? Mm-hmm. A, yeah, they have these organic things that attach, attach to your body, and then you can go into some virtual world. Indeed. Uh, so uh, you've also been listening to Wake, did you? Uh, was that the third one? No, Wonder. Uh, the Right, I'm, I'm like one-fifth of the way through uh, Wonder, and okay. I've read the other two. I'm... So I, I two thirds of the way yeah. through uh, the first book in that series, Wake, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've, I'm actually starting to like it more as I get into it. Um, the the stuff with the you know the father daughter relationship is putting me to sleep. Um, oh. uh, which is not good. Autistic. Oh, well, that's what I just found out, and I thought, okay, uh, at least there's something, some reason for this other than he's just a, you know, an emotional. Uh, uh, you know, father-daughter re- reunion later on. At least there's some explanation for that. That, that, that That's hidden from the reader quite a ways into the right. book. I guess we're spoiling this too. Well, you just spoiled one little aspect, but it's... it's uh, um, I, I am starting to appreciate it more, but I do feel that I'm way ahead of the, the story. You know, I, I want it to be a lot faster than it is. And that's what makes me think I don't want to read the second and the third book, just because oh. I don't like being that far ahead. I like to be just on the cusp of of um, realizing, you know, that's when you're really in sync with a uh, piece of work, I think, is when you're just just ahead of the uh, of the scene. Well, I guess it's set up to be a trilogy, and maybe you would prefer it if it was just one novel. Yeah, probably. But that but, seems to be the trend these days. 
But well, it, he you know he sells them as as trilogies. But I think his next one, he was talking about it uh, on a po- a post I put up an interview. It's called Triggers, I think he's calling it. And yeah, what's that about? It's about a presidential assassination in memory. Um, so I don't know. They take away the president's memory. <laughs> they assassinate his memory. Uh, I don't. I, I don't know exactly. He, he's saying what he was researching. It, the theme is going to be about oh, uh, how memories are formed, and uh, there's going to be a president. There's a sniper, and he shoots the president's head, and then his memory goes away. It's possible. But presses a button, blows up the world. I, I don't. I, I just spoiled that book too. Um, one of the things he said in that uh, in that interview that was interesting about the about the. Uh, Actually, a couple of interviews there that he said that was about the book was that when he does, when he researches a novel, he doesn't make the plot until he's done all the research, which mm-hmm. I think actually is why I like Robert J. Sawyer books, um, is is he really does start doing his research and he uses that as his his basis for the novel. And so when you're reading it, there are, the plot is actually not nearly as interesting as the science and uh, what you can do with thinking about the science. And and so, you know, the characters sort of seem secondary, but um, I always I always go in to a Robert J. Sawyer expecting expecting to like it, and I always dislike the same things, and I always I always uh, like the same things. Um, so, it's it all seems like it's it's partly like a Nova episode. Like you, he's going to teach you some science. And yeah, he's, he's going to, but he's also uh, going to explore what that, what, you know, what that could right, be. The so, implications of what, yeah, what could happen to people in the future. So the, um, the AI that's in wake watch wonder, I guess the WWW series. Right. Web mind. It, yeah. I, I don't know if it is an artificial intelligence or whatever, but the web mind, yeah, is, um, it, it's interesting. And, you know, the, the characters are reading the books that Robert J. Sawyer was reading. Uh, gives you an idea where he's coming at the plot from. And so he explores uh, interesting stuff, but um, it's, I just might not have the stamina for... for I, I, don't know, I don't know if I finished any of his, his trilogies. I, I read the, okay. the first book... But of, you, don't like, you don't like series in general. It's generally true, yeah. But the first book of the... Uh, the dinosaurs, uh, the talking dinosaurs book series. I like that, but I didn't read the second one. And the hominid series. I I only read the first book. I, I actually bought the the remaining ones, but I just never read them. I don't know. I, I saw the I saw the first dinosaur book in a used bookstore, and, and just looking at the cover with some dinosaur holding a telescope and maybe a hat on or something. I mean, that just tempted me to read it right there, yeah. but I, I haven't read it yet. He's a he's a big dinosaurs fan. Mm-hmm. I see that. So, that's yeah, so I, I mean, I expect his books to have like some uh, science instruction and some morals instruction. <laughs> I kind of, ex- I kind of expect that going in, but I, I think in uh, his latest trilogy, he kind of cuts it down. Maybe because uh, the char- central character is a young girl, so there's not as much uh, meditation by her. So I, I think it's uh, cleaner than his some of his other books. Cleaner, uh, more streamlined. I don't know. Uh, you know, there's a scene where she goes in the first book. She goes to the the dance, and there's a boy who you know wants to have sex with her or something, 
right. and she doesn't like that. And like, I'm like, okay, yeah, I've never seen that scene before. But that sounds like a YA book. You know what? Um, I don't know. I don't know about that. I think I think Robert G. Sawyer might just be like Cory Doctorow. I think is a lot better with with characters than than uh, Sawyer is, but he has. Uh, he he doesn't provide the same level of science. Um, it, like Sawyer really does find science fascinating, and he doesn't. Although they they can you know sort of try and mainstream his books into being sort of techno thriller ish, he really does care about putting science in his his stories, which makes me happy. So like the terminal experiment, and uh, you know he 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 researches something. He's not going to put in a lot of bullshit. There, there, there can be you know sort of wild endings, perhaps, but the the mainstream science that you're getting in the story is actually stuff you would be reading in Discover magazine or uh, the latest uh, issue of Scientific American, and it 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 feels like science fiction, even though you know very little spaceships and very few uh, very few um, time. You know, I don't think there's any time travel stories, so. It, it, it's real science in science fiction. Yes, it's. I mean, it's nice to learn something reading a novel instead of just uh, pure fun or yeah, it's idea. Almost feeling like you're wasting your time. Well, that's you know, fantasy fiction can be enjoyable, um, and right. you know, world building can be interesting, but it doesn't really scratch the same itch as uh, a, a true science fiction story. And I'm I'm really surprised that nobody is doing anything with his first book. It's it's my favorite favorite book of his. It's uh, Golden Fleece. Came out in 1990, and it's is that art- the murder mystery? Murder mystery, artificial intelligence, spaceships. Uh, you know, um, ge- it's not a generation ship, but it's pretty close to one. And uh, is that an audio? It's not. Oh, it's not. Uh, first, his first book was Golden Fleece. Second is that Farseer trilogy, uh, Quintaglio Ascension. I'm not sure why it's called that, but that's the dinosaurs. The talking dinosaurs, thinking dinosaurs, and that one's actually lots of good science, lots of uh, lots and lots of good science. Then the next one is so there's a scientific way that dinosaurs can be smart and talk. You know what it is is um, in the first book, which I don't think was meant to be a series. Uh, it's it's basically it's just the story of Galileo uh, right. on an alien planet, and um, they live on a tidally locked uh, moon. Actually, so Galileo is a dinosaur. Well, <laughs> it's it's a cloaked version of the Galileo story, right? Okay. Religious uh, religious people who are dinosaurs, and there are. Um, uh, you know this new science of uh, astronomy, and he's got his farseer, which a farseer is just a telescope, right? That he learns to learn things about. But there's also, you know, he also develops them as a, a, a distinctive alien race. They've got, I think, just like he did in the hominid series, he um, he uses the biology of what people speculate about, uh, you know, what Neanderthals would be like. Um, or at least what Sawyer is speculating what Neanderthals would be like. And um, so he, he thinks things through, and he's very rigorous in that sense. So you get a lot of hard 
hard science fiction payoff without it being mostly about physics. It's mostly about biology, actually. It's much more interested in biology. That, that would be a good, like, uh, family computer animated movie with some <laughs> educational value <laughs> in 3D. Not going to happen. If they turn Farseer into a movie, it would be about <laughs> dinosaurs chasing each other. I mean, it doesn't really even need to be about dinosaurs. They'd have to be dragons instead of dinosaurs. <laughs> exactly right. So um, fly and Spitfire. I think I've read all of his novels except for the, the trilogies. Let me see. Oh, Relativity. I haven't read that one. Mind Scan I might not have read, but I read the short version of that, I think. Rollback was on the radio, on CBC Radio, and then the WW Trilogy. So, I don't know how many novels that is, but... Rollback was on BBC? Uh, it was on CBC. Oh. A podcast on CBC, I think. I think oh. Bridge, though. I wouldn't mind listening to that one. I'll, I'll see if I've got it. So, so speaking I, of Galileo, I, I um, did read like half of uh, Kim Stanley Robinson's Galileo's Dream, mm-hmm. and uh, so it follows Galileo's life. And this wasn't in the notes. And then, uh, like, I guess people from the future come take him away into the future, and there's this whole thing where he goes to uh, from the moons of Jupiter. And I don't know, I got I got kind of lost in the middle, but uh, I, I bought it as an ebook, so I should finish it one day. Uh, you're also working on uh, Red Mars, aren't you? Yeah, I'm like yeah, same problem. I'm like halfway through, and um, I mean, of course, the best part is just the Mars landscape and all the science around that. But I'm not really interested in the characters so much and how they're scheming against each other. <laughs> it's almost like a, a soap opera. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I mean, Scott loved it. I, I was asking him, does it have like a really big ending where something big happens? And he he couldn't really uh, commit to that. <laughs> so, but he but he said he was interested in. It, he it kept his interest and he finished it. So maybe I don't I'll know. finish it. I don't know. It's I'm more uh, than halfway through. Twenty four hours. It's a long book. Yeah, it's long. Galileo's dream. I, I haven't heard much about. Are you you're doing the ebook of that, right? Yeah, actually, uh, that's a weird book. It, some of the chapters aren't numbered. So my first copy of the ebook, a lot of the chapters were missing, and I had to go through. Oh no! Uh, getting a refund and then buying it somewhere else. Terrible. I don't know. I don't know why uh, Kim Stanley Robinson does that. Like some of the chapters are just untitled, and then yeah. some are. But it was. It was. But, I mean, the, the most interesting part is just uh, Galileo's true life, like how he uh, uh, improves on the telescope, but then looks into the sky and discovers different things. Then he he gets in conflict with the religion at the time. And, but then there's like a whole science fictional aspect that comes in, like people from the future come in and take him away. I'm hmm. not sure how successful that part of it is. I don't know how many uh, how many of his books I've read. Mm-hmm. You didn't read, like, the uh, Global Warming stuff? Rice and no, stuff. no, I haven't read any of those. Those are... I'm not... I'm not... Uh, I'm not... Um, I think Lucas read all the Mars books. I'm not, I, I'm not convinced that uh, talking... You know, the climate change stuff is actually science. Um, mm-hmm. In the same reason, I I think Michio Kakao, or is that how you pronounce his name? I don't uh, know. The the guy who's the physics the, teacher, physic, the string theorist, um, yeah, teacher who is uh, writing futurology books or futurism books. <clears throat> I, I I'm not sure he's a scientist because he the the discipline he studies or the discipline he teaches doesn't isn't testable or falsifiable. 
And in the same way, I'm not sure that what we what when people agree that you know climate change is happening uh, for for the reasons that they outline that we've got a a, a case of a falsifiable uh, theory. I don't. I'm not sure that it is a falsifiable theory. I think that it it's there's definitely some trends and things things that are going on, but the the way to falsify it doesn't seem to exist. And in that way, might not be best to call it science. Might be, it might be like saying, "Oh, it's getting hotter." You know. Well, I, I think we should uh, clean up the carbon at least. It, it, well, if 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 it's true that that's down. if it's true that that's causing uh, uh, some problem, then that would make sense, right? Mm-hmm. Sort of a. I mean, if it, if it isn't, it's uh, still. Isn't polluting the atmosphere? Before we get into that, let's. Uh, okay. I want to. I want to mention um, the one. One of the novels I have read of okay. Stanley Robinson's that I think is really good and would would be a good trilogy to put out on audio because there. It's not really a trilogy. It's a um, a series of three. Uh, it's a series of three related. Utopian novels or dystopian mm-hmm. novels, all set in I think it's called the California Trilogy, and the one I've read uh, is called Pacific Edge. I I got it, uh, uh, you know, I just picked it up. It was a science fiction book, and I was looking for a science fiction book. I picked it up and I read it, and I thought, wow, this is an amazing book because it's a utopian book that isn't, um, isn't uh, it's it's kind of cynical about what the possibility of utopias are, and yet it it's it's uh, like a really good way to go. Uh, so in Pacific Edge, it's like set in Orange County, which you know is Los Angeles. Um, in the future, maybe 50 years down the road, where for some reason there's a lot less people, and uh, maybe maybe that's from some oil crisis or who knows. But um, they're trying to live very lightly on the land, and they're trying to be green. So there's a, another novel called Ecotopia, which is the same idea. It's sort of like the green green utopia and there's uh things like um craters that are wind powered and um solar powered this and you know gardening and doing your own gardening and and yet it's a science fiction book it's not a it's not a um uh i don't know future futurology or futurism where we're gonna we're gonna. Um, everything's gonna be perfect in a new u- green utopia, and everybody's gonna be eating vegetables that have organic. Right? It's very practical, and it's very. Um, it's very interesting, and it's it's got a plot that's based on you know I, I think some guy trying to change the local the local zoning laws or something like that, which is you know not very dramatic, but uh, just the, sounds the, very domestic. Yeah, it, it it feels very you know s- sort of low scale. The the stakes are low, but because you're dropped into a very real, realistic world that's well developed, um, the stakes don't need to be high. And I think one of the problems we do when we we make movies and stuff out of books is they 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 try and increase the stakes artificially. You know, uh, it's it's like that. It's it's referred to one of the best things about the the Austin Powers movies is they they actually refer to the fact that there's this inflation that happens with stakes right so when 
Dr. Evil comes out of his, I don't know, his frozen state, he, he thinks $1 million is a lot of money, right? And they say, oh, that's not, that's nothing, Dr. Evil. $1 million. Right, that's right. And, and so... I'm holding to, a pinky to my mouth. He has to explain... He has to, you know, he has to ex- have it explained to him that that's not really that substantial, and so he has to have the stakes artificially raised. And it reminds me of, you know, the the Mel Gibson one of those Lethal Weapon movies. The first one, I can't remember what the stakes are, but it's just somebody's murdering somebody or some drug dealer. And the second one, the stakes are a little higher. And then the third one, they've just given up. They just have a a literal boat full of money. Right? Mm-hmm. It's not like you know a million dollars or a billion dollars. It's uh, a freighter full from stem to stern, from deck to to uh, whatever that thing in the bottom of a boat is called, <laughs> um, full of money. And that those yeah, are I don't know what's called. And and <clears throat> after that, you have to say, okay, guys, you've you've written yourself into a screenwriting problem here, where stakes are based on. How many zeros are after the 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 number? It's not it's not the way to write a story. And so you can have a a really good story that the stakes are fifty bucks, or the stakes are um, whether you're going to have to do your homework that night. It is long, but it, it's a, a lot harder to do that skillfully. And and that's what I really appreciated about uh, Kim Stanley Robinson's writing is that he is able to create a very realistic world. And make the stakes low and still have you very compelled and impressed. Okay, so you weren't bored. No, uh, and yet it should it should be boring based on the fact that there's very little action. You know, the action right. is somebody going over to someone's house for dinner and, uh, you know, hearing about somebody who's been somewhere else, <laughs> you know, to find out what's going on over there. Yeah, I mean, I can see like a thriller based on just a guy having to make a speech in front of a room. I mean, that, <laughs> that would scare me. Well, that's be good it's called the King's Speech, my friend. <laughs> and the stakes right, right, matter right. are they, relatively low, but they try and they, so they try and raise it, you know, a little bit, saying, you know, he's he's uh, the king of England. If he doesn't give a good speech, they can't win right. more. But really, what it is, is really what it is is it would just be embarrassing, right? It would be very embarrassing, exactly. And yeah, and if that was you, that would be uh, a thriller. That's right. In that situation, it's still a good movie, even though the stakes are low. Actually, uh, uh, Tim Pratt, the author I like, mm-hmm. he was on Dragon Page, and he was talking about that same thing. Like he's running this uh, series of books, and he talks about that trap that you might fall into, where you keep raising the stakes mm-hmm. in each book you write, and then all of a sudden you have nowhere else to go, and it gets ridiculous. Yeah. So then he has to pull back and do something more personal. You have so he was talking about exactly the same thing. Break mistakes at all, and don't don't make it a uh, you know uh, one of the smart things that that they do with like in Pulp Fiction, everybody's chasing after the the suitcase or whatever. Nobody knows what's in the suitcase, but it's all something they want, right? Well, telling us what's in the suitcase doesn't make make the motivation more interesting. In fact, it makes it less interesting because it's so practical, right? Money is is the MacGuffin that. <clears throat> Everyone understands and no one cares about because it's not your money. But you can make money like fifty bucks be a big deal if if uh, you know it it's really important to that person. And that's all. That's about writing uh, writing good character rather than 
you know, I just want power for power's sake. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, let's let's get back to what I thought they were doing us. Okay. No, no, you can talk. I was going to bring up a Mickey's Plane movie where they have some case with something glowing inside. Yeah, I thought it was kind of a salute to that. Well, yeah, absolutely. That's that's called uh, Kiss Me Deadly, one of my favorite movies. There you go. Yeah. Oh, what, what was that glowing thing inside, anyway? Nuclear material. That's oh. <laughs> why so at the end of the movie, uh, the the world blows up or something. Oh. I'm not sure how, how opening the suitcase blows up the world, but it certainly burned down the house. And it must have been a very weird contraption that the suitcase has... Uh, it's a meltdown when you open it, not when you have it closed. Very strange. Maybe it's made out of lead. I, well, I think it was made out of lead, but even so, when you open the suitcase, you'd actually be taking the materials away from each other rather than bringing them right. together. So it's, it's, it might not be logical, but it's still a good movie. Right. By the way, that's very film noir. That's, that's one of the best film noirs out there, I think. Beautiful looking. And it's also a noir movie as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes when I read a book that is really like long in, in description, I, I go to a noir book where it seems to be really cut down more, mm-hmm. and it gets right to the point. Yeah, well, yeah, you read... Uh, that's what a noir book is to me. James M. Cain's uh, Double Indemnity is like 100 pages, I think. And uh, what's the other one? Uh, the Postman Always Rings Twice. That's that's like 100 pages. Like, it's not, it's like there's not a lot of black backstory and a lot of description and a lot of... Uh, well, there's a lot of... There's a lot of stuff put into each sentence you know it's not a lot of um it's like uh uh she wanted she had a she had a mouth i wanted to hit and she looked like she would enjoy being hit or <laughs> something like that right mm-hmm. and they say whoa that tells you a lot about their character and then in the next chapter he says i want you to kill my husband or something like that <laughs> you say okay well they're really getting into it they're not really waiting around much even even if time passes in the story they don't you know give great detail about what the paint looks like on the walls. Right. It was a grubby little room in a grubby little town. That's the end of it, right? I think, uh, I don't know if it was Samuel Delaney, but someone said uh, every sentence has to do two things. Or maybe Wolf said it. Well, whoever said it is right. Right. Should at least do two things. At least two. Um, Yeah. So, uh, what were we talking about before I, I... Distracted us with the Pacific Edge? Uh, Limitless? No, no, no. I can't remember what it was. Red Mars? No. No, we started talking about uh, something that was really interesting, and then uh, I I, I wanted to get that. Oh, uh, uh, climate change? Um, Maybe. The carbon? (laughs) Doing the show notes right now. Um, Let's let's move on to something else on the list. Maybe it'll come back to me. Okay. So, uh, well, I, I'm partway into uh, Ben Aronovich's book. Oh, uh, Rivers of London, or what's right. it called? Moon. We call it Midnight Ride in America. Midnight Ride. Yeah, I think right. Rivers of London is a better title. Mm-hmm. Although Midnight Ride probably sounds like more urban romance. Or it's, urban. it's Riot. R I O T. Midnight Riot. Okay. Yeah. yeah on the cover, bit. it has a guy with like like a cosmic energy coming out of his hand. I guess he gets uh, spiritual powers later on. He's a m- magician of some kind or something, right? Right. He's like uh, the Dresden Files. Uh, okay, yeah. yeah. 
he's a wizard. A, a wizard, yeah. Um, and is 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 he um, born to it? Like I, I can't remember. Is he born like Harry? No, he Potter? find he finds like an Obi Wan Kenobi. Uh-huh. He's a cop, and then he finds like this Obi Wan Kenobi figure to to train him. They're they're investigating some murder that has some kind of supernatural cause, I guess. And then he meets a ghost, and then he meets this guy that investigates paranormal stuff. And I guess he's kind of yeah. I've gotten that far. Ghost tells him how, him how the murder happens or something, right? Right. Yeah, then there's some other guy that's like a specialist in this, and then I, th- I guess he's going to train him later on. But I haven't gotten that far. You you like the dialogue, I think, or was it the? Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, as an American, I like all that uh, British slang, like on Doctor Who. Like on Doctor Who, I record it on DVR, and then if somebody says something weird, you can I'll re- reverse it and turn on closed captioning and figure out what they say. So I learned like snog means to kiss. <laughs> I learned that from Doctor Who. So I, li- I like all those weird. Uh, Words that I don't know. English it makes it more exotic. Mm. Yeah. But then if I try to use it, I'll probably sound stupid to someone from the UK. Yeah. It, it, when you get off uh, off the airplane in, at Heathrow and it says, "Hey, mate, hey, mate, you got a fag?" You say, "What? Are you, what are you talking about, sir?" Hey, man, you want to get pissed? <laughs> yeah. No, thank you. No, thank you very much. Not not that that's usually what they ask you, but still. Right. Um, yeah. Um, how, like I, I, like I always say, this is just like I think it, it seems like urban fantasy to me, but it's, it's with a British slant, which is probably the best way to slant it, rather than uh, I don't know. I see. It seems to have a decent amount of research with uh, police procedure and all that. But but so does uh, I mean I mean Anita Blake has pretty good. Uh, it seems like she's researching guns and police <laughs> procedure and stuff. I, it seems that way to me. Could be. I mean, I, I liked her first book a lot. I haven't read. I haven't read any of them, so I, I can't really say. But I think it's uh, worth it. Just to I think just the this, one, the series then. problem is is my problem. Just right. The bigger the series is, the more afraid I am. Yeah, if you go to a bookstore, that's all you see is like uh, twenty series books where they all look almost exactly the same, and they're all like either some trend like uh, urban fantasy with the woman with the tattoo on the small of her back. Or uh, some kind of steampunk thing. So I, I think it's kind of depressing when you walk into a bookstore and you just kind of see the same book repeated several times. Indeed. Just like a whole section, like after Z in um, Science Fiction and Fantasy, where they have all the uh, Star Wars and Star Trek tie-ins and all the game tie-ins, and it's just like a big, a big thing. Yeah, they so they've I, so I just skip over it. It's still there though so somebody's buying them i guess yeah yeah i guess i guess that's what the public wants so uh, i think yesterday we, we we were talking a bit about um uh, the difference between peter watts versus robert j sawyer they're both canadian science right. fiction writers and i i i should tell you that story or maybe i already did tell you that story about what uh luke luke burge was saying about peter watts and uh the third book in the starfish series right so Luke said uh, that he he reviewed, I guess, the first book, Starfish, and then he just recently reviewed the second book in this, that series. And he either got an email back or sent an email to uh, to Peter Watts uh, saying that he really liked the second book. And Peter Watts said, oh, you're in the minority, um, but uh, you should probably stop now because the third book, most people seem to think is no good <laughs> or something like that. And 
And uh, I, I, you got to give it to him for honesty. I, I, I have to give him a thousand percent for honesty, and it makes me want to read his books because uh, everything I've read of Peter Watts, which is one book, um, I liked, but I also liked his attitude in that um, he he is very self-critical and he's very um, interested in truth. I think, um, but not just you know. You know what's true for him, but also what's true for the world. And uh, you know, one of the criticisms of Robert J. Sawyer is that he doesn't take criticism, right? Um, mm-hmm. On on that re- interview uh, uh, that I posted yesterday, I think it was. Uh, he he was responding to questions uh, in Hungary about about why the television show that he was involved in, uh, you know, didn't go past the first season. And his criticism was good, right? His criticism okay. was good, which was that uh, the way it should have probably been done is it should have been uh, more a post-apocal- post-apocalyptic after the first episode. After the first episode, all the cars, um, uh, you know, that are, I don't know, crashed and all the airplanes that are crashed, that sort of goes into the background and it becomes right. a more personal hunting story or you know family drama more sort of thing and and because it was advertised as a a post-apocalyptic thing it would have been better as a post-apocalyptic thing perhaps or i think the pro- problem there with that is that it wasn't really all that post-apocalyptic it's more like post 9-11 or something like that mm-hmm. yeah they, they made it very uh glamorous like they had uh it, it was like they had like doctors and FBI agents that weren't in the book. Like I think the book was mostly scientists. No, I think I think that it's just the focus was changed. I think all those characters are pretty much in there. Uh, a lot less, a lot less, um, a lot less FBI stuff in the in the book. I think, mm-hmm. um, and a lot more um, scientists. It's true, um, and a lot less conspiracy, and a lot more. You know, a lot of the things. I th- I think. The main problem is they tried to make it too long, right? Uh, so The Walking Dead, I think, is going to work a lot better as a uh, six episodes or seven episodes or whatever it is a season than it will as a 22 episodes a season, which I think is what they tried to do for for uh, for the Sawyer series Flash Forward, mm-hmm. right? That The 22-episode arc for a, a long story tends to wear you down because it's being dragged out. Whereas uh, a short, a shorter season for something like Dexter or something, you you get, you know, six or seven episodes and then say, mm, I'm, I'm good. Don't need no more. But if you're dragging it out, it feels like you're just trying to milk the, uh, milk the revenue out of the, uh, the story mm-hmm. advertising or something. Actually, I think that that show was hard to get into if you didn't watch it from the beginning. Indeed. Like, like even on Hulu, they wouldn't keep the whole season. They would only keep, like, the last two or three. Hmm. So uh, you, it was really hard to catch up unless you had, like, the whole season on DVD. It, it, was, well, it was well done. It just it, it was lacking a little something. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe it could have, been, uh, could have been done better on cable. I don't know. But um, it's probably... Probably not. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to see a lot of novels turned into television shows on regular television. I don't think. 
regular television is very good at that. I think what regular TV is good at is, you know, comedy and, and uh, I don't know, maybe real, real uh, what's that, reality TV or something like that. Right. Big Brother. Could be. Voice. The Voice. The, what? <laughs> is The Voice well, they, they made a new show? American Idol show. It's called The Voice. Okay. Where they, where they audition singers. It's exactly the same as American Idol. I see. Uh, American Idol is, is only singing, right? It's not like dancing as well. Right. It's not like the gong show. <laughs> you know what? I forgot the, I and they sing the a- gong show. Yeah. Yeah, because that, that is the original... Uh, that is the original version of American Idol, right? Except they're looking for the worst yeah. people, really. Right. Bring, bring back the giant hook to pull the people off. That's what I want. <laughs> Do they actually have that on that show? Or is that just from the so. Muppet show? On the gong show. Oh, I think the gong show had that. Really? When they gong them? Yeah. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> you know what? I might not mind seeing one of those. I, I, I was maybe like four years old when it was on, I think. I don't know. Maybe I'm confusing with Bugs Bunny, but I am, I'm pretty sure. Could have been on Bugs Bunny as well, or uh, The Muppet Show. Um, right. So we've covered Robert J. Sawyer, uh, Kim Stanley Robinson, Ben Aronovich, uh, Robert Sheckley. Uh, well, I'm, I'm reading uh, the Embedded what? book, uh, Dan Abnett. Is is that how it's how you say? Oh, it? I, actually, I was going to mention that I'm reading Peter Watts's uh, game tie-in, uh, Crisis. Oh yeah, that seems pretty good too. I mean, that w- I think that would make a good uh, audio book. There's a lot of uh, asides where they have like like a manual out of a science fiction book. <laughs> I think with multi voices, that w- that would be a good audio book. And and it's it's like a Peter Watts book. Like it's very cynical and violent, and uh, there's a lot of humor and grossness. Is it called Legion? Is that what it's called? Uh, Crisis. Cri- yeah, yeah, you're right. Crisis Legion. Crisis Legion. Hmm. Yeah, well, I, I, I found that hard to believe. I, was like, I, thought, I thought it was like a super principal guy that would never do any kind of a movie or game tie-in. <laughs> but there it is. Well, you guess also cool. pay the bills, too. Yeah. I mean, yeah it's, it's probably it, a cool it, company probably, to be letting him do whatever he wants. Gave me a sh- they, they, they gave me a shit ton of money. and drove up a... They drove up a dump truck full of money to my house. I couldn't say no. And I, I think he actually helped with the game itself, both him and um, the uh, uh, stainless steel guy. Well, the uh, views are uh, on there uh, on the Amazon are uh, seriously one star. And this this book sucks. Although the game was awesome, awesome. <laughs> well, A W S O M. Way too many profanities, dude. <laughs> Oh yeah, this one is on page one. Books. Yeah, no. Okay, he is a, mar- a marine, but you shouldn't cuss every other sentence. So now that makes me want to read Crisis Legion. Yeah, sometimes when I see the negative review of somebody, that actually is a positive that I, that I would see. That would make me want to read it. And here's the other uh, review. I don't care how good book how good this book is. I have no intention of paying more for a Kindle book than a paperback. I will just skip it. That's the one negative review. The two negative reviews are not very negative because they're mm-hmm. it's pulp with a PhD, says somebody. Four stars. Hmm. Yeah, did you know publishers make more off of a I was gonna say publishers make more off of a hardcover than off of a ten dollar ebook. Mm-hmm. Like somehow they make I don't know. back more of their cost on a hardcover than an ebook. 
I, I don't know how that would work. Yeah, I, there's, there's, I can, I can link to a post about uh, Amanda Hawker, the oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Kindle Million. and uh, he he gives all the. Uh, it's this guy that used to be an agent, and he gives all the figures about how hardcovers are really cheap if you print them in bulk, and uh, with eBooks, I guess uh, Amazon, whoever gets more of a cut, so they actually end up making less of a profit with the eBook. That's why they want to raise the price on them, ten dollars. With a ten dollar ebook, they'll make less than with a like a twenty dollar hardcover. Like I think it only costs them a dollar fifty to mass print a hardcover. I, so that, that's why they're I don't know dragging their feet on ebooks. Possible. I, I'm not sure ebooks are uh, are um, gonna last the way they are. If there was an open open platform, it would make a lot more sense, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I know they're they're. There are attempts. You can have you can have EPUB without DRM or Mobi without DRM. Right. But will Kindle <clears throat> allow you to have those? Right. And will the? I, I think you can put a book uh, and all the DM free. Yeah, you can put a Mobi DM free book on a Kindle, I believe, or mail a PDF to a, a Kindle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's there's still no uh, USB for Kindle though, right? Um. I never I've never seen a Kindle in real life. I think there's some kind, of, some kind of a cable where you can drag files on. Mm. And there's a Kindle app for iPad where you can... Now they have, I guess they call it side-loading. You can drag Mobi or PDF files onto it. So I, I think you can take uh, DRM-free books now. Still need to have the uh, the comics. I'm not interested until they can get uh, right. e-book comics and, and, and an e-book reader with... I think an iPad... Or... Yeah, an iPad would be good at reading comics. Probably. It's still a little, um, uh, still a little not great because of the uh, the DRM all over, all over their locked up stuff. But um, the thing is, is all the all the problems that the the iPad has um, are almost neutralized by the fact that it has internet. Right? I mean, you don't really need any of the uh, to yeah, go through I mean, the uh, through the store to buy all the junk that you they want you to buy on there if you can get all access through the internet. But Yeah, I mean, you don't have to use their app to read. There's all different apps. <laughs> yeah, but they, they are the ones who tell you which apps are going to be in the store, right? That's true. They have to prove it, but like, like there's an app called Stanza, and that's made just for reading free books. Right. So you can just use that. So the, I'm, I'm sure there's a, there's a comic book app where you can read free comics. I'm sure that's true, but uh, I'm. I still would want them to be, you know, uh, the way the way they work is they censor whatever they tell who's who's going to be in the the app store and who's not. So one of the things on my phone is the VLC player, which is a an app that lets you play AVI files, right? Which which phone do you have? iPhone. Oh, phone three. The and VLC VL- is on that. It was. It was on there oh. for brief time and now oh. it's been removed from the store and the oh, reason that it's been removed from the store is because they think that people are going to use it for uh, bad purposes i guess i don't want them telling me what i can do with my device so i guess um, you're more of a, you're more of an android person you want an android tablet uh, i think that, that that'd be more likely but i'm i'm still android is google right yeah and Google may may start. But their their app store people. is totally open. There's no approval process. No, 
that's that's yeah. kind of promising. That's promising. Yeah, I've never I've never done an Android device either, so okay, a little bit a little bit sheltered. Well, you, might, you might want a Android tablet then. Maybe, maybe. Hoping for uh, and the, the, the Barnes and Noble has like a color uh, e-reader, but uh, it's not as snappy as an iPad, and it's smaller. Well, and I guess they're locked down too. They only have like ten apps or something. Yeah. They have Pandora and not much else. What, what's the story on uh, Embedded? Are you reading the paper book of that? Is there an audio book of that? That um, guy's name? Uh, I'm not sure if there's an audio book. I'm, I'm like 200 pages in. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's action-packed. I'm kind of in a lull right now. It's, uh, it's about it, a... I, I, I told this before. It's about a reporter who uh, somehow gets... Transfer onto a chip, and the chip is put in a soldier, so he can report on uh, whatever war and report the real reason behind the war. But then the soldier gets uh, disabled somehow, so that the reporter has to take over hmm. and control his body. It seems like yeah, it's a good premise, right? But yeah. now there's just a lot of shooting. Yeah. I got a, I got a little bored with it, but I might I might finish it still. A little less shooting, a little more stuff. Hmm. Um, no, no, it's just subjective. Makes me makes me think. You know, why why if they're putting a reporter on a chip, why don't they just put that AI on hundreds of chips, thousands of chips, one for each soldier, right? That same AI. Oh, that'd be a good idea. Well, this this is like a real human being, though. Somehow they real human being on a chip. <laughs> like somehow they actually transfer his consciousness. Well, I guess you can make another copy. Yeah, well, that's in Neuromancer too. You know, you know that uh, right. There's a ROM, a read-only memory version of a person. Uh, I think he, I think in the story, the the main, or that character, that person died before the the novel started, and he says that he was given a lot of money to have his mind mapped, so that mm-hmm. uh, after he was dead, they'd be able to use him as a piece of software to solve problems, and. Uh, right. His he he want his reward for helping in the in the heist is to be turned off because he doesn't like being the idea of being alive. I right. think that's really interesting, and of course he also being a read only memory device, he doesn't remember anything past the the first question you ask him. So they have to add uh, some RAM to him so that he can remember what's going on. Really. Mm-hmm. It's such an innovative book. Neuromancer is just, just chock full of great ideas. So, yeah, embedded sounds good, but it also sounds, you know, just like a slight variation on one idea inside of uh, Neuromancer. Yeah, I guess it's meant to be more uh, entertaining. A lot of action. He, he, this is the same author that wrote a lot of uh, Warhammer 40K books. I haven't read any of those. I think Scott's listened to some, like, uh... Yeah, the audio. Audio. Seemed to like it. Like audio drama with one person. Mm-hmm. Which versions. sounds odd. Right. The uh, Comics Code Authority. Okay. So, I, I'm, I probably mentioned this before, but... Um, the end of the Comics Code Authority has come. The, the last comic ever with Comics Code... Uh, on the cover was an Archie comic 
And was that in the news? I don't. E- I don't even it, think I saw that. It was very minor. I think it was on some website news, and um, it was just interesting to me because I. I think it's you know the the death knell of of all the bad stuff that it caused is is you know for the last ten years we've had comics that were basically free of of uh, of censorship. If if you didn't want to put it in there. Uh, you weren't forced to take it out. You know, if you wanted to put it in there, you weren't forced to take it out because there was lots of different lineups, different kinds of comics for different audiences. The problem is, is there's maybe not as many for kids as there used. In any case, I, I think that that's a really, really good thing. And I, I just uh, one of the things I worry about, you know, with people talking about eBooks and and uh, you know app stores and that sort of thing is is that um, in lieu of of uh, of the censorship, there's still the the, the self censorship that comes with um, ratings, ratings, giving ratings to books. Yeah, I hate it. I hate it greatly. So, what comics are you reading? Um, I was gonna mention. Um, did I talk about that Mark Miller one? I don't think so. What's that? The one where it's not, it's not Batman, but uh, he's all in white and he's a villain, and he's some rich guy that just likes to kill people like crazy. <laughs> so, I mean, I've always been a Mark Miller fan since uh, the Ultimates. I think that's one of my favorite. He wrote comics. Kickass or something. Is that is that what he wrote? Yeah, he wrote Kickass too. He wrote Kickass and he wrote Wanted. That's another thing that became a movie. Right. And uh, yeah, um, better than Wanted. Right as a movie, anyways. I haven't read either of the comics, but I you should re, you should check out the Ultimates. That's like my favorite. The, the art is really good in that too. Okay, yeah, it's like a reworking. Well, it's 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 the Avengers, but it's a reworking of it. You oh, might like the I mean, more edgy take on it. The Ultimate Avengers, or it's just called the Ultimates. It's well, it. in the beginning they just called it the Ultimates, but it, but it is like the Avengers in this. So uh, like Captain America. Captain, yeah. Huh. I'm I'm not a really big super superhero fan, right? But this is a really uh, edgy take on it. I mean, uh, edgy. I would recommend it. <laughs> edgy. I yeah. it just makes me it, think the comics code would never approve of it. Oh really? Okay. Uh, so is it under the Marvel Knight series or? No, just well, well, it's the Marvel Ultimate series. Is that Marvel is that Ultimate. a a um? Because I know Marvel had had one. It's like this alternate Honestly. universe where they rework all the origins and oh, okay. make it more I got to the twenty-something guys. They're re- retelling the stories, uh, origin stories, right. and such the big stories. Okay. Well, that's that sounds all right. I'm I, I've uh, I'm just about finished the uh, Ex Machina series. I've got I just got the last book. Yeah, I like that too. Last collection, and I, I really like. I'm not. I'm not a huge, huge fan of the art, but I'm really enjoying the uh, the story and the way it's put together. The art sort of mm, it's pretty good, but um, I started that. I started uh, the Chronicles of Wormwood. That's a really old Garth Ennis series, mm-hmm. and um, it's. Oh, uh, frightening premise. <laughs> frightening. You know what is the premise? Uh, well, it, maybe it's not the premise. It's the um, it's the, uh, the the main character is um, 
I don't know, the son of the devil? What's his name? Okay. Uh, the Antichrist. Uh, Lucifer? Yeah, no, 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 Lucifer is the devil. Lucifer is an angel, right? Damien? Yeah, basically. Uh, it says, Chronicles of Wormers is the story of a benevolent Antichrist, his best friend Jesus, and a talking rabbit uh, named Jim. The story begins as God and Satan's attempts to convince Danny Wormwood to begin Armageddon. Uh, <laughs> says the series also features an afterlife road trip and the Vatican's alliance with the devil. The latter part puts Danny in extreme danger and the Holy Roman Church. Um, uh, if there is somebody who who couldn't exist without the Comics Code Authority, that would be uh, or with the Comics Code Authority, that would be Garth Ennis. I can't, like, he is really capable of taking your extremely liberal ideas to the extreme and say, whoa, hold on a second, man. Yeah. Um, and he'll, he'll, he'll do it. Anything can happen in one of his books. And, true, and uh, mostly it does. Um, one of the characters yeah. here is Pope Jacko, the Pope of the Catholic Church. Australian and wishes to use the he's Austra- Australian Pope and uh, oh my god I, I I just turned the pages of this book saying holy crap I can't believe that's in uh, not, in, not approved by the Commerce Code the I I don't I don't know what all the rules I know blood was one of the rules blood was never read in comics because uh, because of the Comics Code and there was no drugs. Uh, the 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 first time drugs were mentioned or drug addiction was mentioned in I think it was a in comics was um, Green Lantern. No, I think it was a Spider Man, and they had to take the comics code off the cover to to do it, and that was like in the seventies or something. But it, 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 superheroes are are exist because of the comic code, right? They existed because of the comic code because You've got a whole bunch of indestructible people hitting each other with no blood, right? Throwing buildings at each other, and nobody ever gets hurt. That's the same code that made television have something called the A-Team, where a bunch of Vietnam (laughs) veterans get machine guns and shoot at each other, uh, shoot at, you know, bad guys, but never kill them, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. dudes, (laughs) we're making... Horrible, horrible stuff, because that's the only thing we're allowed to make. I think Howard the Duck used to make fun of that stuff. It's possible. Like, it would, they would have a superhero, and then he would just punch you, and your head would explode or something. <laughs> they would make fun of all those superpowers. Yeah, I, I think... Back when Steve Gerber wrote it a long time ago. I think that, uh, you know, superheroes should be done, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Is there, I mean, I, I there's not much... There's not much to be mined when, when you don't have it, the storytelling restriction is is um, is too much, and you you know you end up getting the same stuff over and over again, like we've had over and over again. And you know even yeah, the movies keep... they 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 know that that they can't keep telling the same story over and over again, so they keep rebooting them, right? Have to keep re- yeah, they 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 kill them off, and then they come back to life, and they kill them off again. Like I think Spider-Man just died, but you know he'll come back. And Captain America died, and he came back. Yeah. So Superman. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of uh, 
kind of leery of just superheroes. But mm-hmm. oh, oh, and Superman uh, left America, and yeah, what's that on? Uh, I haven't I haven't watched that episode of Fresh Ink. What's the story there? It's just in, in uh, I think. Uh, Action Comics, he says he's... Well, he's an alien anyway. I mean, he didn't come from Earth. <laughs> but he just declares that he's a citizen of the world, not of America. And, like, I think all the forums are apparently up in arms that he's declared himself not American. I think that that's, um, that's actually pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, people are, are far too uh, nationalistic, I, I would say. So I guess he can't say truth, justice, in the American way anymore. <laughs> yeah, I think that was from the TV show, though. I don't think that that was the. I don't think that was ever um, a part of the comic book series. I, I could be really? wrong about that. I'm not. I'm no expert on Superman. And his colors are red, white, and blue. Indeed, indeed. I'll have to change his colors. Like have have Italy's flags colors or something. Uh, that's uh, green, uh, white, and red? Is it red? I think so. Green, white, and red. That'd be a nice look. <laughs> I, I, I know that there was a version of Superman that was like a Russian version. I think he was... Oh, that's a good... That's, huh? that's read by Mark Miller. That's a good book. Was it? Yeah. The, the Red Sun, I think it's called. Yeah. Where he grows up in Russia. Yeah. I think that'd be... I remember that being a good read. Interesting. See, Mark Miller's a good writer. He just and he's super violent, so you would love. Is him. he? Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I like super violent. Oh well, you like Garth Ennis. Uh, I like Garth Ennis because he writes really surprisingly. Okay. Right? He doesn't. I mean, you know, you're going to get surprised. That's that's what I really like. He is got a philosophy of of the world, which is very libertarian, I guess. Um. And he doesn't, he's either cynical or skeptical or something like that. And he really doesn't get swayed by what people would be, find acceptable. He doesn't really care what other people are saying. He he wants to shock you and he doesn't mind that people are going to get upset. Right. I don't know. He, he's he's definitely a weird guy and I really like, I like the way he writes. Even like... His uh, his history based ones, the Battlefield series and the War Stories. Yeah, I hear that's very moving. I, I haven't read that, but yeah, I hear a lot of good things. There, you you should pick those up because they're they're um, they're all the stuff that's in his his regular comics. In that it's surprising and shocking and powerful, um, but also it, it's got the history element that he 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 picks true true events and sort of fictionalizes them a little bit with fictional characters often but uh they're they're all real things that actually happened and it becomes very um uh he writes characters well and he writes the plots in surprising ways so that's all good stuff but yeah i'm he i don't think he's a fan of extreme violence as much as he's a fan of shock okay but you don't like those uh hero gasm comics uh, the, so boys, the boys, the boys. That's it. Yeah, Herogasm was one of the series. I would say that they're they're good because they're shocking, uh, right. and they're funny. Uh, I think it's going to be a movie. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be very. You know, there is the the pun. The, movie. I think the the second released Punisher movie, the first one with um, Michael Jane. I think no, what's what's the uh, Jane Thomas Jane, 
Thomas Jane. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy in Hung. Yeah. The guy in Hung. Um, Thomas Jane's movie version of The Punisher, because there's been mm-hmm. two Punisher movies recently, that one has large swaths of stuff taken from from the Punisher run that, that Ennis did, and that's excellent stuff. So there's good stuff in the movie. That A lot of that is from him. Uh, from oh, okay. I didn't know that. Uncredited, I think, but in any case... Um, he he is very effective uh, at comic writing. I I'd like to see him write a fiction novel because I'd like to see if he could do it and what 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 he could do with that. Neil Gaiman transitioned from comics to uh, to papers. I, I'm not sure if he transitioned. He he did comics and then he did uh, you know regular paper books and paper books are just as good as his comic books. And I don't think Garth Ennis has ever written any any uh, novels at all. Not sure. I think uh, Warren Ellis has a novel or two. Is that right? Yeah, he's another edgy comic book writer. Edgy, very similar to Garth Ennis. Who, who's a not a, who's not an edgy writer? Um. Well, Jeff Loeb tries to be edgy, but I don't believe it. <laughs> I don't know who Jeff. Like he he actually took over the Ultimates from Mark Miller. Uh huh. But I think he's like trying to do Mark Miller. And it, it, it just doesn't feel right to me. Trying to keep keep the same the same shockiness. Hmm. So, do you think uh, Garth Ennis is the Peter Watts of comics? Uh, no. There. I, I mean, uh, I think I think that they're both enjoyable, but I don't I don't think so. Who is Garth Ennis in comics? I don't. I I don't know if there is a. I don't know. He's more like Gillette or something like that. I don't know. Okay. He 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 knows what he likes. He's got. I'm not sure. I think he's very very. How about Harlan Ellison? Maine. Uh, Harlan Ellison. I I don't think I don't think that's that's a good fit either. See, I don't think I don't think Harlan Ellison is very very humane. I think he has humanity in him, but yeah, Peter Watts is very very humane, and I think also. It, there is a connection there between uh, uh, Peter Watts and uh, Garth Ennis. They're both very humane. They care about people, and uh, I think Peter Watts is very uh, honest, and it's not won't hesitate to shock you in his books. Yeah, I, I, I've only read one, so I, I really need to read more of Peter Watts. Actually, Peter Watts has a lot of uh, books for free. I mean, in the ebook format, at least. We got to get I, some audiobooks out of them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, somebody, someone could volunteer to read them. <laughs> We've got to find somebody to read them. ask Luke to read it for you. <laughs> we'll see. I'm thinking. Uh, I'm thinking. Just get some some audible versions or audiobook versions. I know recorded books did the the one I heard uh, the vampires in space one. What was that one called? Blindsight. Blindsight. Yeah. Is that a series as well? I can't remember. I don't think so. Good. Good, but uh, Luke is actually reading. He has a trilogy, and Luke just reviewed the second book in the trilogy. Right. And I think those are all free. Like you can re- you can read them. They're Creative Commons. So maybe Greg Marguerite or somebody can read them for you. Uh, well, I, I don't think Greg Marguerite does Creative Commons. He, he's oh. he's only on LibriVox. But I, I think that would be a a great thing for somebody to do is pick pick those, make audiobooks out of them. Absolutely. Um, and you don't you don't want the synthesized. 
robot voice. No. Although, you know, what I did discover yesterday, archive.org has uh, synthesized, um, synthesized, oh, yeah? uh, automated. It's, you go to archive.org and you find a PDF. And if it's in the PDF format, you just, there's a button at the top, you just press and it starts playing it automatically. It's, it, it was like a shock that they had that built in. It's not even like uh, take it out. It's it's uh, starts playing. I assume some nice. blind person would find that, you know, really useful. I I find it very annoying. I don't want to listen to it. Actually, the Kindle does that too, but uh, the uh, publisher has to give permission. But then the, the Kindle can read, do a synthesized voice of whatever ebook you have on the screen. Nah, not all of them, right? A lot of them are disabled. Yeah. Yeah, somehow there was a controversy when that feature came out, and some publishers disable some books for some reason. Whatever. That's another yeah. reason not to buy a Kindle. Right. Or what I'd like to see is, is a Kindle uh, alternative operating system. You know, a Linux for Kindle, a Linux for iPhone, a Linux for, uh, for all the different operating systems. And I don't think we have that yet. I think... Uh, We'll have to wait. A well, there's, a, there's Android. Android years. is Linux. Uh, right, but it's not. You, there's no Android app for iPhone, is there? Or, uh, or for um, there's 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 a Kindle app and there's a Barnes and Noble Nook app. No, but what I'm saying is there's no operating system for Kindle, other than Kindle. Uh, well, you can't oh, get yeah, like I don't an know Android I mean, I think, version. I think people have. I think people have jailbroken the iPhone and put something on it. Jailbreaking it though doesn't doesn't uh, replace the whole system, does it? Maybe. Uh, maybe I should look into. Well, I, th- I think it's like the first step, and then some people have put Linux on it. I, I believe, okay. but it's not like a big thing. Okay. They just jailbreak it and then put whatever apps on they want. Mostly. Sounds good. Um, the other the other series that I'm looking at in comics is uh, there was. Uh, I guess I didn't hear anything about it. Uh, Philip K. Dick's Electric Ant. The Electric Ant is, mm-hmm. I think what it was called is a fiction story. It's just called Philip K. Dick's Electric Ant as a comic book. Um, the art looks okay. The story is really terrific. The sh- short story You've is... You've read really, the story? Yeah, yeah. It's a really, really terrific story. It it, it, it uh, has the main character is a... You find out right away that he's a uh, uh, an android of some kind or a robot... Um, and uh, he starts uh, tinkering. He doesn't. He didn't know he was a robot until he was in this accident. And then he starts tinkering with his own guts to change oh, his really? rea- perception of reality. And you know that's totally Philip K. Dick sort of thing. But uh, there's a oh, I didn't get that from the summary, but I saw the cover where he's actually like messing with his stomach. Yeah, I didn't understand what he was doing. So the only thing that really makes it a a little bit old-fashioned is that in the story, uh, he's a he's a computer, but he he's operated like by punch tape. You know, like the programming <laughs> is is old-fashioned. It's not a uh, punch digital bits. Yeah, it's it's very, you know, it's, you 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 can see that's the, a, that's so steampunk now. Yeah, probably it's yeah it's, it's coming back retro, right? So vintage, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that that would be interesting. There's no reviews of it at all on. Uh, on uh, Amazon or anyone else, as far as I can see. Uh, but there's the Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep adaptation uh, has got lots of reviews. Or, that, that has every word from the story. 
in the comics. Yeah, it's kind of a weird way to do it, but it might be worth looking at. I haven't seen a copy, so I'm not sure what to think of it yet. I think Tom Merritt liked it. Who's that? From uh, He's on Twit. Okay. He's on the Sword and Laser podcast. Is uh, uh, the Sword and Laser one of the Twit Twit Army uh, shows? Is that... No, it's no, it's weird. They they want to be with uh, Frog Pants, I think it is. What's that? Frog... <laughs> it's some other uh, network of podcasts, I think. Okay, I've not heard of Frog Pants. I guess they're indie. Okay, but uh, but he also does some other podcasts on the the Twit Network. Okay, it's well known on, and he used to be on the show called Buzz Out Loud on CNET. Well, you're until... you're Over really there. an expert on these things. Sure. What 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 is the Twit uh, Network called? Is it just the Twit Network? Well, the, this week in tech is like the main show, and that's that's the initials. But then it kind of turned into a whole network of different podcasts. How many? How and many now, are there now? Like two dozen or something? Like? I don't know. Yeah, it's like twenty or more. Like, oh and there's both video and audio feeds, and they have a live stream. Some of them don't seem to be operating very much, though. Like they they make a show and then goes two episodes a year or something like that. Is that right? Could be wrong. Um, some of them might have been canceled. Like oh, maybe that's maybe what it is. Well. Yeah. It's just like this week in food or something. <laughs> kind of like... Well, yeah, they had a... What was it called? Munch? Munchcast? Yeah. That went on hiatus for some reason. I, I think it was just a scheduling problem. But that was all about junk food. Okay. It's a very focused, focused yeah. show. This week in junk food. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.